Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ala muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam In the name of Allah, the most beneficent, the most merciful I testify that there is no true God worthy of worship except Allah <coughs> That Muhammad is Allah's true slave and messenger <coughs> May Allah's salah and salam be upon the Prophet, his noble companions, his family, his pure family and the noble companions and those who follow on their path until the day of resurrection. Tonight, inshallah, we will talk about the following deviant sect so that we know of it and we become aware to its uh, doubts and misconcepts and how to refute them. And this will be the, uh, the so-called Al-Qur'aniyun, meaning the people who um, say we take only by the Quran and uh, we don't take by the Sunnah this is a sect this is a deviant sect and it has its roots in history and in our times as well there are those who adhere to the concept of this Quran Okay, the Quranites, or let's call them the Quranites, or Quranis, or Quranis, or Quranites only. Alright. The, <coughs> it is really known that the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the first source of legislation in Islam and that the Sunnah, the authentic Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is the second source of legislation after the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clarifying its rulings and it is also a practical application in executing the commands and how to do that done and clarified by the final and last messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the enemies of Islam were unable to do anything concerning the Quran in the sense of finding defects and or contradictions whatsoever so they pointed their arrows to the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, attempting to, dis- to distort it and they followed in that several ways either to deny it in general or deny some particulars after casting doubts about it so they claimed that the glorious Quran comprised everything which the Muslims needed in general and in details and therefore there is no need to bring forth the Sunnah as another source of legislation and they say that the Sunnah was not a revelation sent down from Allah and the Muslim cannot but follow that which was revealed meaning the Quran not only that not only that they even said that taking the sunnah as a source of legislation may lead to committing shirk regarding the rulings and Allah said in al-hukmu illa lillah the judgment and the decree belongs only to Allah so they said and this is one of their misconcepts that if we will consider the sunnah then this will make will we, we will uh, have uh, shirk 
association in terms of the decree. We will have another other other beside Allah making decrees. And they said that the hadith conditioned itself, quote unquote, in terms of the conditions of the revelation and that the narrations had been criticized in text and in the chain and that the scholars of hadith criticized some men and some texts and therefore something like this where the opinions quote account of men had interfered regarding it then it does not fit to become a deen or part of the deen or part of the religion even more they added that the sunnah may implant and cause divisions between Muslims and discord amongst them while the Quran calls for the unity and the gathering of the ummah so anything which stands as an obstacle to the Quran should be not considered and it must be negated in that sense now as far as the history and this is only a briefing and we'll talk about it in detail later denying the Sunnah as one of the legislative sources in Islam goes back to the second century after Hijrah goes back to the second century after Hijrah however historically speaking the historical resources don't tell us about particular names or groups where they took by a clear stance then to reject the Sunnah however this developed later however this developed later and in the third century after Hijrah something that came from the Orientalist side infiltrated the Muslim world and developed into something organized and systematic to a certain degree in the Indian subcontinent from the beginning of the 13th century and it appeared in India and Pakistan and that took the name of Ahlul Quran the people of Quran because they claimed that they can take the rulings from the Quran alone and not from the Sunnah the scholars in the Indian subcontinent stood firm against this deviant sect from the very beginning in fact they declared that anyone who holds to such views is a kafir, is a non-believer however they did not resort to refuting some of these or refuting the claims of these people can't this uh, mindon out please so there wasn't really much refutation of their claims So let's talk about now 
the beginning of this Quranite sect let's talk about the beginning of this Quranite sect In the Indian subcontinent, this movement began, and it was promoted by, in the beginning, by someone by the name of Ahmad Khan, and it shaped itself and concentrated in mid-India when India and Pakistan were one country particularly in the Punjab area and from this area two deviant sects emerged the Qadianis and the Quranites two in the year 1900 Ghulam Ahmad Al-Qadiani emerged and he claimed prophethood and in the year two years later another person by the name of Ghulam Nabi who is known as Abdullah Jakralawi the establisher of this Quranite sect began his destructive cause by denying the Sunnah entirely let's write his name here Abdullah Jakralwi 1902 he established this movement the Quranite movement by denying the Sunnah entirely and this was in the city of Lahore in Pakistan that was the headquarters for his movement and this is also in addition to another fitna that of Ahmad Rida Barilli to whom the Al-Baryalawiyya sect after his name I mean after him it's given this name and which is very 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 widespread in the Indian and Pakistani communities as well where they don't see any problem in prostrating to the graves magnifying their dwellers and the establisher of these Baldiwis is Ahmad Rida Khan who was born in 1856 and he died in 1921 and it's worth mentioning some of their creeds here so that people should be aware of that they say for example that the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a light of no human form number one secondly they say that he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam knows the unseen and thirdly they believe that the prophet alayhi salatu wasalam attends the birthday celebrations by his own physical presence 
and that he sallallahu alayhi wasallam in his hand is the managing of the affairs of the entire universe these are some of their deviant creeds now two leaders therefore we or let's have three leaders now so far first of all Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani the establisher of the Qadiani movement who claimed the prophethood for himself and the second is this Abdullah Jakrawi who was the establisher of this Quranite movement which denies the entire Sunnah the British occupation the colonial British occupation of the Indian subcontinent helped both movements directly and indirectly openly and covertly in order to make the people busy within themselves and so that the colonial power works under split and divide to prevail so they played a major role in supporting both movements now let's talk about this establisher of the Quranite movement Abdullah Jakralawi born in Lahore he called people to follow his new madhab he called it in the beginning Ahlul Dhikri Wal Quran Ahlul Dhikri Wal Quran the people of remembrance and Quran and he denied the hadith entirely and he classified some writings in that he was born in the city of Jakrala in the Punjab in Pakistan and this was at the end of the 19th century he got married to two wives one when he was young and he had Ibrahim from here Ibrahim didn't like the path of his father so he refused to belong to him to relate to him and to follow his path so he denied him his in his he denied his son his inheritance and the other son and the other the son by the name of Al-Qadi Muhammad Isa but this person followed his father's path supporting it now as to his second wife her name is Maryam Jamila she was highly educated and he married her when he was 80 years of age and she spent a lot of her time serving him and helping him and she believed in his creed and she supported him entirely it is reported from different sources that this Abdullah had connections with the British authorities then who supported him and not only that he had also strong connections 
with the Christian missionaries in the area. They supported his call for denying the Sunnah and they promised him help, financial help as well. Certainly the scholars in his times did not condone his creed and methodology and many of them declared him as Kafir. He got ill in the year 1912 and died in 1914. Another establisher or co-founder of this group is by the name of Ahmaduddin Al-Amratas Al-Amra Tasarri I will write his name Ahmaduddin Al-Amra Tasarri he was born in 1861 in the city of Amratstar in India and his mother took him or his father rather took him to his sheikh for dua Naam. and this is one of the traditions there where they wipe such sheikhs they wipe on the head of the child for barakah for blessing so called and some of them will give a name when they do that to the child he attended some of the religious schools not only that but he attended one of the Christian missionary schools where he studied the Bible and modern secular studies He followed the call of the establisher Abdullah Jakralawi since 1902. Since 1902. Yeah, Boro, Dicroic. Okay. Uh, just. Uh, we have a class now, okay? And also, he had, he had a connection with Ghulam Ahmad, the establisher of the Qadiani movement. He established in 1926, in 1926, he established his a group in this city of Amritsar in India and he chose for it the name Umma Muslima Umma Muslima Muslim Nation and he denounced many of the Islamic rulings that are based upon the Sunnah
this person died in the year 1936 so we can remember therefore from him that he established this Ummah Muslimah in his city Amritsar in India and again he was one of those who were affected by the call of the establisher of the Quranite sect Abdullah Jakalwi so this person died in 1936 another person which we may refer to also later his name is Aslam Jirajburi Aslam Jirajburi he is a philosopher and historian and he is one of the founding members distinguished founding members of this Quranite sect he was born in 1880 in the province of A'zam Kara in India he had connections with this with these people, with the establishers Ahmad al-Din Amrat Sarri and was very much influenced by him not only that but this person wanted to mesh socialism with Islam wanted to mesh socialism with Islam like for example he was calling in addition to rejecting the Sunnah he was calling for changing the possession of the land to the state after the establishment of the state of Pakistan in 1947 he migrated to Pakistan on demand of one of his students by the name of Barwiz but then he returned to India after a short while and he became ill in 1955 and then he died in the same year in December 1955 now we talk about Barwiz his name is Ghulam Ahmed Barwiz family name Bakhsh was born in 1903 in the city of Patala which is close to Qadian in the province of Kordasbur in Punjab, eastern Punjab in India and he studied under his grandfather and his grandfather had strong connections with the Sufi Jashti Tariqa or sect when he came to Karachi and he enjoyed staying in it he began his activities in Lahore in Pakistan
and he focused upon intensive figurative interpretation of the noble Quran distorting many of its real and authentic meanings he supported the Quranite principles and began by making figurative interpretation of the Sunnah in the beginning and then at the end he denied all of its usage as an independent source of legislation in Islam he glorified Ahmad Khan in many of his writings and also glorified the establisher, the founder, Abdullah Jakralawi, and praised him. Although they differed a little bit on some minor details, but in principle and essence they were on the same creed of denying the Sunnah. He established this movement under the name of Tulu' al-Islam Emergence of Islam This was Barwi's movement And in 1961 His thoughts were presented before many of the Islamic scholars of his times and more than 1,000 scholars from Pakistan, India and Asham, Greater Syria and Arabia denounced him and declared his kufr, his unbelief and his exiting of the fold of Islam his party Tulu' Islam, Emerging Islam was one of the strongest political parties as well in addition to holding the deviant creed of taking by the Quran alone this is a brief history on the founders of this people the rejectors of hadith and in our times there are four sects from the Quranites four sects or four groups from this sect rather united on two matters united on two matters the first matter is taking by the Quran alone in matters of this life and the hereafter and the second is that the sunnah the prophetic sunnah is not an established proof and evidence in the religion and therefore it should not be encountered in it let's talk about these groups now so this is the concepts that they hold to summarized in these two points that you have heard and we said that there are four groups within this sect and the first group is Ummat Muslim Ahlul Dhikr Wal Quran Ummat Muslim Ummat Muslim meaning nation of Muslims Ahlul Dhikr Wal Quran the people of remembrance and Quran this is the first group and this is the remaining group from that which was established by Abdullah the establisher, the founder and the one who founded this group 
is the student of Abdullah Jakralawi by the name of Muhammad Ramadan who died in 1939 and this group had many centers in most of the Pakistani cities and its headquarters however is in Lahore in Pakistan the other group is under the name Ummat Muslima Ummat Muslima and this is established by Ahmad al-Din in the city of Amritsar in India and then moved to Lahore during the independence period of Pakistan in 1947 did not receive much popularity They had two, they had two publications in the past. One of the name Balagh and the other by the name Bayan. And although a few in number, but there isn't any city almost in Pakistan except that there are members of this group. Again, their headquarters. again in their headquarter is in Lahore they are distinguished by being that their members are many of them are educated young males and females also elderly but educated and also members of the academia and uh, the medical fields and so forth and lawyers the third group is group called Tulu' Islam Emerging Islam and which we talked about when we talked about the biography of Darwis and this is one of the most active groups in our contemporary times although their influence diminished greatly after the fatwa of the major scholars declaring the holders of the view of Parwiz as Kafirs And also, however, it is influential in the academia sector. And they had they had a headquarter in Lahore as well. And they have a publication by the name of Tulu' Islam. As to their numbers, there is a lot of difference of opinion as to their exact numbers some statistics mention they may be some million and some say they are tens of thousands and the fourth group is called Tahrik Ta'mir Insanit Tahrik Ta'mir Insanit this is the fourth group this is one of the four groups of the Quranites also new 
relatively new. In the 70s, it was established in the 70s. And uh, it is uh, supported by a very rich man by the name of Abdul Khaliq Malawadda. Also, who himself runs it, meaning he leads the group. This group is distinguished by having a very eloquent speaker. His name is Al-Qadi Kifayatullah. Who also supports the views of the establisher of the Quranite sect, Abdullah, which we talked about him earlier, Jakralwi. And also, its headquarters is in Lahore. And for uh, during the 70s, they even had an independent newspaper. Now, the total number of followers to the Quranite sect in general, with their four groups included, does not exceed 3% of the total population of contemporary Pakistan however also they have strong connections in many parts of the West in Europe and in North America And some of them are active on the internet and also on Faltalk particularly. This is a brief introduction to the history and the establishments of these deviant groups which are under the umbrella of the Quranite sect. Now, in order to begin expounding on their principles and their misconcepts, we can't really do that unless we know some important matters of our deen. Because knowing the truth will assist the knower of figuring out easily by the will of Allah what is correct and what is deviation in fact this was the practice of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah in his refutation to many of the deviant sects in his times. He used to present the truth from the Quran and from the authentic Sunnah plus the understanding of the righteous predecessors. By the time you finish reading this in his introduction and you start reading the concepts of the deviant sects, you will immediately find it easy to know how and where they deviated. So therefore, since they are denying the Sunnah and denying the Hadith, or some of them, not of these Quranites, or some of those who are from the innovators who try to resort into distorting the meanings of Hadith in order to fit in a certain agenda. For example, nowadays we are faced by something, somebody by the name of <coughs> 
What's his first name? I forgot, but his last name is Ramadan. Ramadan, what's his first name, uh, Sister Muhammad? Or anybody knows? Tariq Ramadan. This person, for example, wants to make a new Islam fitting for the West. So what they do, they go into, they can't deny the Sunnah entirely or partially. They go into figurative interpretations or distortions in order to make the text fair seeming to apply to their methodology of making it fitting to their agenda, in this case an independent Islam for example, to the West. And tomorrow we may get some people who may get another agenda in the East and therefore play around with the text in order to make it fitting to the traditions and also called cultures of the East. It wouldn't be surprising. So, since our subject is dealing with the Quranites and their denial of the Sunnah, then we must first understand what is the Sunnah. Then first we must understand what is the Sunnah. And then historically go to see who were the first to deny and or alter the issue of holding to the Sunnah. Historically, who were these sects? So let's talk about the Sunnah now. What is the meaning, the linguistic meaning of the Sunnah, as well as what is the Islamic meaning or traditional meaning of the Sunnah? Linguistically, the Sunnah means at-tariqah, or the way. And this linguistically could be good and could be bad. I mean, the way could be good and could be bad. Take, for example, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 26. قال الله تعالى يريد الله ليبين لكم ويهديكم سنن الذين من قبلكم Allah wishes to make clear what is lawful and what is unlawful to you and to show you the ways sunan sunan ways plural of sunnah show you the ways of those before you and also the saying of the prophet alayhi salatu wassalam latattabi'unna سنن الذين من قبلكم شبرا بشبر وذراعا بذراع Verily you will follow the ways of those before you Hands span and وذراعا بذراع Arms length by arms length Follow them Meaning follow their way This is concerning the linguistic meaning of the Sunnah. In the Islamic meaning of the Sunnah, the meaning really differs in accordance with the methodology utilized. And let me explain. For example, with the people of Hadith, the Sunnah means what is related from the Prophet وسلم, from his sayings, actions, or attestation, or a descriptive matter of his manners or of his nature, whether this was before the advent of his prophethood or after that this is in accordance with the definition of the people of hadith ahlul hadith and muhaddithin the scholars of hadith this is, the, this is the meaning of the sunnah with respect to them now with the fuqaha with the people of fiqh with the scholars of fiqh of jurisprudence the sunnah is the legal 
descriptive manner for the action which is demanded in a way which is demanded without being obligated such that a person if he does the action he will be rewarded and if he relinquishes it he will not be rewarded this is the definition of the sunnah with respect to the fuqaha and some of them even may mention the sunnah in opposition to the bid'ah in opposition to the innovation for example they would say the sunni divorce vis-a-vis the innovated way of divorce So it mostly pertains to the legal descriptive manner of the action. Now with the fundamentalists, it is defined as the saying of the Prophet ﷺ and his actions and his approvals. Some of them even add, some of them even add the following. They say it also includes the action which he intended to do. Why we have these different meanings of the Sunnah? Because with respect to the people of Hadith, they are interested in searching about the Prophet ﷺ who is an example and a leader as Allah informed of him so they related everything regarding his sayings, his actions, his approvals and his characteristics his moral character, his nature whether that pertains to a legal matter or not irrespective they related everything this is what they were interested in now with respect to the jurisprudence ulama al-fiqh they were looking at the messenger وسلم, from the angle of his actions which which is a mark an evidence for a legal ruling whether this ruling will be mandatory or forbidden or disliked or allowable or praiseworthy or recommended meaning as to the fundamentalists the scholars of fundamentals of deen they were looking at the Messenger as the legislator who puts the rulings for the people striving to learn Islam after him making clear for mankind the code of life and thus they were interested in his sayings and actions and approvals which affirm the rulings and approve them with the scholars now as a whole you have heard now these different meanings now the famous understanding of the sunnah with respect to the majority of the scholars is to divide the sunnah into three classifications the sunnah of the prophet meaning his sayings his practice his actions and the third his approvals let's talk about his sayings the sunnah al-qawliya 
بالسنة القولية بالسنة pertaining to the saying this refers to the ahadith which is a plural of hadith and his sayings alayhi salatu wassalam which he mentioned in different occasions and all that is related to the rulings the second as-sunnah al-fi'liyya as-sunnah al-fi'liyya meaning his practical sunnah his actions these are the actions of the Prophet which the companions related to us from his worship and otherwise and this is very important to know this is of two types the sunnah of actions of the Prophet is of two types some of his actions that are some are actions which are considered as legislative and the other is not considered as legislative so the sunnah of actions is of two types legislative and non-legislative in nature and those which are not considered legislative they come in three forms they come in three forms his actions which emerge or are necessitated by his human nature like standing, sitting, eating, drinking that these actions entail allowability are not considered as a source of legislation this should not be confused if we have the Prophet ﷺ saying drink in your right hand then you say well this has to be do with the human nature though don't confuse that The other type are actions which were conducted by the Prophet ﷺ due to experience in life. Like for example, when he ﷺ came to the place of Badr, and he resided in the place where he found water first one of the companions came to him by the name of Al-Habbab ibn Al-Munzir may Allah be pleased with him and said O Messenger of Allah is this a place where Allah commanded you to such that we are not allowed to move away from it or is it the opinion and your experience in war or the plot for war you know because this was the battle of Badr the Prophet said rather it is the opinion and opinion and plotting for war strategy for war so Al-Habbab told him, no, this is not a proper place to be in. And the Prophet accepted from him. And he moved from it. And also like his actions concerning trade and so forth. The other form of actions under this category, 
is that which emerged or came from the Prophet ﷺ necessitated by the revelation. However, the evidence makes it special for him only, not to the rest of the Ummah. Like for example his marriage to more than four. And the other now the other type of his actions is that which is Tashri'ah legislation and this takes two forms. Either it could be explanation for something general or particularizing something general which may came in the Quran like for example the actions of the Prophet ﷺ during Salah or in Salah in performing Salah in performing Hajj or the second form are actions which the Prophet ﷺ does initiating them and these cannot exceed two situations first that we know the manner in which he did it ﷺ, whether it was in the form of being obligatory or recommended or um, or allowable or we don't know either we know or we don't know now if we knew the manner, then we must follow. If we know the manner of the action in which he conducted his action, وسلم, then we must follow. If we don't know the manner of the action, then we have two opinions. The first opinion is that we must follow until there is evidence to indicate otherwise and others said no we should not follow until the matter is clear some of them even distinguish to say if the action if it is apparent from the action that it is done as a means of nearness to Allah then the action would be recommendable otherwise it will be allowable all of what you have heard was concerning the sunnah of actions now the sunnah of approvals this is what the Prophet ﷺ approved from the actions of his companions either by keeping silent and not denouncing or agreeing and even making it known that he likes what is or what was done by his companions take for example when Khalid ibn al-Walid may Allah be pleased with him ate from the lizard, desert, from the desert lizard which is called Adab on the table, on the food table of the Prophet ﷺ. in the house of his maternal aunt Maymuna, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ. and the Prophet was looking at him only the Prophet said لم يكن بأرض قومي meaning this animal that he was eating Khalid ibn al-Walid this dub which is a lizard a desert, a desert lizard he said it wasn't 
لم يكن بأرض قومي يعني it didn't inhabit the land of my people فأجدني أعافه يعني يعني you find me disliking it disliking it to, from nature not only not from a legislative matter and he approved for Khalid to eat it so now we know by the will of Allah the meaning of Sunnah from the legislative meaning and from the Islamic meaning and We know that the Sahaba, the companions, were all in agreement of taking by the Sunnah as a source of legislation. As we take from it, as we take from the Quran. And the matter continued on this clarity after the Prophet's death until the emergence of the deviant sects from the Shia and the Khawarij, the dissidents and the Mu'tazilites and those spoiled the clarity and they began denying some aspects of the Sunnah and casting doubt about it in general and this is which we will talk about inshallah next time and next time will be inshallah the talk about the position of the Shia from the Sunnah the position of the Shia regarding the Sunnah Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ala muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam